It's Friday, July 22nd, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, why do we laugh? And what causes us to do so? Was laughing at one point an evolutionary advantage? Plus, the reason for a mysterious pink glow over a small Australian town on Wednesday. And the latest contender in Home Depot's line of extremely large yard decorations. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. Why do we laugh? How are different senses of humor formed? And what does humor even really mean? Scientific American delved into this topic a couple of years ago, speaking with psychologists and mapping out the history of theories for humor in Western societies. Now, starting with the ancient Greeks, those philosophers largely thought that people mainly laughed at the misfortune of others, or of our own earlier selves. Humor was born out of a sense of feeling superior. Now, by the 18th century, there was a new theory called release, a breaking of pent-up nervous energy. Years later, Sigmund Freud would solidify this theory, quoting Scientific American. According to Freud, this process explains why tabooed, scatological, and sexual themes and jokes that broach thorny social and ethnic topics can amuse us. When the punchline comes, the energy being expended to suppress inappropriate emotions, such as desire or hostility, is no longer needed and is released as laughter, end quote. Another popular theory over the years is that people laugh at juxtapositions, things that don't go together or defy expectations. Weird, offbeat comedy, basically. And this is called the theory of incongruity. But there's also a subcategory of it called the resolution of incongruity, which is kind of similar to the release theory in that it gives a nice catharsis. It's irony, identifying a double meaning to something, awakening to a whole new perspective on a topic. Now, those have been the leading theories for what it is that makes people laugh for centuries in some cases, but they're not completely comprehensive, nor are they exactly measurable. So, two psychologists set out to study different theories of humor back in 2010. Peter McGraw and Caleb Warren, who published their findings in the journal Psychological Science, were working with a theory they called benign violation. They basically surmised, quoting again from Scientific American, when a person simultaneously recognizes both that an ethical, social, or physical norm has been violated and that this violation is not very offensive, reprehensible, or upsetting. Hence, someone who judges a violation as no big deal will be amused, whereas someone who finds it scandalous, disgusting, or simply uninteresting will not. End quote. Now, this is a huge talking point in comedy right now. Where is the line in comedy? Is hate speech funny? Is it being subversive, or is it just low-hanging fruit? Now, I like this definition of benign violation because it recognizes that different people will have different reactions to the same joke. Some will think that it's benign and funny. Others will find it offensive and unfunny. And yet others may think it's benign or offensive, but also just not funny. And that's a big critique that I tend to get behind with some of the more controversial comedians these days who people are arguing about. You know, for some of the ones making the most controversial jokes, personally, I don't find the jokes to be that original. Like, yes, some of them are horrifically offensive, but they're also just 
not very well constructed or creative, and maybe if they were, they wouldn't have to lean on the shock value so much. But anyways, McGraw and Warren, according to Scientific American, managed to find support for their benign violation hypothesis in their study. In one experiment, they told participants about a church that was trying to recruit congregants by raffling off an SUV to new members. Now, everyone in the study found that to be a bit incongruous, but the faithful did not laugh at it, while skeptics did. In a later study, the duo also found evidence that time truly can make even horrible events in our lives a bit funny, and that some things are funnier when people could be assured that they were fake, like with Photoshop, while still other things were only funny when participants thought that they were true. According to McGraw, quote, there seems to be an optimal comic point where the balance is just right between how bad a thing is and how distant it is, end quote. So that's some insight into the what of laughter, what makes many of us laugh. But why do we laugh? Every community and culture of humans laughs. Other apes and animals laugh too. But why? For this, Scientific American turned to evolutionary biologists David Sloan Wilson and Matthew Gervais. Did language develop as some sort of evolutionary advantage? perhaps not just for individuals, but for the survival of larger groups. So the pair studied two different types of laughter. Duchenne laughter, the natural reaction to genuine amusement, joy, or a physical sensation like tickling. And non-Duchenne laughter, which is a bit more voluntary, like when you give a slight chuckle to break tension in a conversation. And quoting again, Facial expressions and the neural pathways that control them differ between the two kinds of laughter, the authors say. Duchenne laughter arises in the brainstem and the limbic system, responsible for emotions, whereas non-Duchenne laughter is controlled by the voluntary premotor areas thought to participate in planning movements of the frontal cortex. The neural mechanisms are so distinct that just one pathway or the other is affected in some forms of facial paralysis. According to Wilson and Gervais, the two forms of laughter and the neural mechanisms behind them evolved at different times. Spontaneous laughter has its roots in the games of early primates and in fact has features in common with animal vocalizations. Controlled laughter may have evolved later, with the development of casual conversation, denigration, and derision in social interactions, end quote. That spontaneous Duchenne laughter evolved in early human ancestors, becoming a marker of familiarity and safety among in-group members, and therefore helping make the group as a whole stronger together, is evidence of the group selection theory versus simply fueling individual selection. Now that's Wilson and Gervais's theory, but others suggest that laughter evolved in relation to selecting sexual partners and or to help de-escalate aggression and conflict. And for all of the answers that psychologists, evolutionary biologists, historians, philosophers, and more have sought over the years, more questions seem to remain. What about jokes that are funny when we're in a certain mood or situation, but not in others? Does the group selection theory hold up when humor can also be used in exclusionary ways? I mean, I think we can answer each of those in layman's terms, but official studies with deeper explanations are still prodding at them. And what about the line between humor and laughter? 
especially in the case of non-Duchenne laughter, when we laugh, it's not always in response to humor. And humor, even when we recognize it as such, doesn't always make us laugh. I mean, how many times have you typed LOL or haha in response to a joke that you did genuinely find funny while sitting silently and neutral-faced alone in a room? One study in Current Directions in Psychological Science found that we laugh 30 times more when we're with other people than when we're alone. Which makes sense, but also gives credence to the theories that laughter has a functional role in societies, in groups, and perhaps in attracting mates. Psychologist and humor expert Giovanni Antonio Forabasco sums it up, quote, It's presumptuous to think about cracking the secret of humor with a unified theory. We understand many aspects of it, and now the neurosciences are helping to clarify important issues. But as for its essence, it's like saying, let's define the essence of love. We can study it from many different angles. We can measure the effect of the sight of the beloved on a lover's heart rate, but that doesn't explain love. It's the same with humor. In fact, I always refer to it by describing it, never defining it. What is humor? Maybe in 40 years we'll know. End quote. Residents in a town in northern Victoria, Australia, were treated to a free light show on Wednesday, though it initially left people a bit more concerned than entertained. The whole sky turned a bright shade of pink, and not in a sunset kind of way. This was past when the sun had set, so it was a huge pink orb-like glow lighting up the sky. And this happened with a blue light in my neighborhood a few years ago when a transformer exploded and an enormous swath of the sky was suddenly glowing bright light blue. Despite never before in my life believing this sort of thing, when it happened, I did genuinely think it could be an alien invasion. I mean, it was just that eerie. There's also some weird glowing lights that happen almost every night around here that I think are connected to a nightclub. It's just the kind of thing that happens in a big city. But Mildura, where this pink glow occurred, is not a big city at all. So what caused the sky to turn pink? Marijuana. Specifically, medicinal cannabis. The pharmaceutical company Can Group has admitted that their new cannabis farm caused the pink glow over the town. The senior communications manager for the company explained, quote, Cannabis plants require different spectrums of light in order to encourage their growth. A red spectrum light is often used. Normally, the facility would have blackout blinds that come down at night and will in the future block that glow. End quote. The blackout blinds had accidentally been left open on Wednesday. Can Group is new to the area, and their exact location is kept secret due to the nature of their business, says The Guardian. But both the new cannabis farm and the mysterious glow had local residents excited this past week. Resident Dr. Ann Webster told the media, quote, I look forward to many other innovative producers coming to the region and bringing their glows with them. End quote. Sounds like a town representative from Welcome to Night Vale or something. Meanwhile, in America's version of Australia, North Texans have been dealing with a host of issues stemming from extreme heat and an extended drought. Parts of the region are pushing 50 days without rainfall, causing multiple wildfires to spread, as well as an increase in water main breaks and busted pipes due to increased water usage and dry, shifting soil. 
Or at least, that's what's causing the plumbing issues in most places. But in the city of Anna earlier this week, crews discovered a completely different cause for reported water pressure issues at the city's pump station. A snake had gotten stuck in the motor control panel. A real live, or formerly living, snake slithered in and caused a full system failure. Now, unfortunately, the snake seems to have been electrocuted inside the control panel and was already deceased when the crew found them. The city posted a photo of the sizable serpent on their Facebook page on Wednesday, with one resident commenting, Poor guy, he just needed a drink. So if you are having any water pressure issues, maybe check your pipes for snakes. Remember the 12-foot Home Depot skeleton? You know, the giant decorative skeleton that briefly took the world by storm, first when it was released in fall of 2020, and again on subsequent holidays when people realized, since they couldn't fit this 12-foot tall skeleton anywhere else, they'd just keep decorating it for every non-Halloween occasion as well. I have a few friends who have recently ordered these 12-foot Home Depot skeletons when new drops hit, and I'm extremely excited for them. Turns out there are entire online communities of people swapping tips about when the skeletons are in stock, how to transport and assemble them, and sharing photos of the skeletons decorated for different scenarios. It is a magical little community. Well, Home Depot is hoping they'll create magic a second time with an 89-pound, 6-foot by 4-foot king crab statue that they're calling the colossal crustacean now this one lies flat it's only 15 inches tall but it takes up a massive amount of real estate the product description reads we provide everything but the butter our exclusive larger-than-life colossal crustacean giant king crab statue is a perfect visual delicacy near a pond, bar, or pool. Complete with pinchers, claws, and nested legs, this titanic crab sculpture boasts a six-foot width easily spotted in deep seas or in your party room. Our humongous replica king crab statue is cast in quality designer resin, reinforced for supreme strength with fiberglass, and hand-painted with powerfully convincing color and texture to be as faithful as possible to the form of its ancient species. End quote. But as League of Legends concept artist An Dong pointed out on Twitter, it gets even better when you scroll down to the reviews. Now, I don't know if this is one person or a small group like all trolling together, or if they are true sentiments of real customers, but the reviews are amazing. One five-star review reads, quote, Being a single 37-year-old woman realizing I'll never get married means I needed something to fill the void in my life. This definitely fills the gaping hole. He's my emotional support crab. Just takes up space, doesn't move unless I pick him up and move him myself, but boy is he pretty. Exactly how I imagine any man to be. End quote. Another five-star review reads simply, quote, Very gorgeous, kind eyes. He is our god. Praise be. End quote. And another five star review quote, If you think this looks realistic in full daylight, imagine how it looks at the foot of your bed when you wake up in the middle of the night. <laughs> Hilarious. I sure do miss living at home. Those were some good times. End quote. And an unfortunate one star review says quote, Please do not buy. Do not buy this. Do not try to open the shell for the love of God. End quote. And another disappointed two-star review, quote, 
Excellent quality, beautiful knickknack, but as a collector of all things colossal, this one missed the mark. I was looking for something to use in my under-the-sea themed backyard, but this is too small and is easily lost on my actually colossal space. I'll keep it as a shelf knickknack, though. Too much of a hassle to have Jack take it back down the beanstalk to return. End quote. Meanwhile, Jack himself left a five-star review, quote, I am an avid crab lover. When I saw this crab, I knew I just had to have her. Tell you what, though, you're gonna need a pickup. This thing is freaking huge. Had to route the exhaust into the water to get it boiling. I recommend 24 hours to soften the shell. Terrible taste, but worth the experience. End quote. And the reviews go on and on and on. They are hilarious. An excellent way to spend a half hour. And the perfect accessory to this bizarre giant crab decoration. Speaking of which, I need you to know that Home Depot also sells a 12-foot-tall nutcracker, an 8-foot-tall giraffe, a 5-foot-tall triceratops, and a fairly normal-sized head and torso of a Bigfoot, but for some reason it's described as Bigfoot the Bashful Yeti. The Home Depot garden decor section is truly the gift that keeps on giving. I can't wait to one day have a yard and fill it with all of these gems. San Diego Comic-Con is officially in full swing, so we are getting mountains of pop culture announcements and reports from the ground, with many more to follow throughout the weekend. One of the ones getting a lot of people talking so far today is the announcement that the new Teen Wolf spin-off series, Wolfpack, has a surprise new star, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Buffy herself is returning to TV for a new supernatural adventure as arson investigator Kristen Ramsey in the new series, which will debut on an as-yet-unannounced date on Paramount+. Geller will also serve as an executive producer on the show. Now, I never really got into the MTV Teen Wolf series. I prefer the Michael J. Fox version. But with Sarah Michelle Geller involved, I might just have to check out this spinoff. Look out for plenty more film and TV announcements throughout the weekend, but that is going to be it from me for this week. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again on Monday.